Welcome to Downstage Center, a production of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway. And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. And we're joined today by Tevye, known in real life as Alfred Molina, starring, of course, in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway currently. Alfred Molina has been in two Broadway shows, Art and Fiddler. Two Tony nominations, one for each appearance. That's not, not a bad batting average. No, I was, I was very pleased with that. And, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was pointed out to me that it was uh, two nominations in two different categories. So I was, right. uh, I, I was I, you know, it's, it's nice to be the bridesmaid. One in a play <laughs> and one in a musical. Very that's different. right. That's right. So I was very, I'm very if, pleased with that. Of course, a few little movie credits that people uh, may re- recall this uh, past summer uh, as Octavius, uh, Dr. Octavius, the evil doctor in uh, Spider-Man 2, and Raiders of the Lost Art, Sharkalot, Frida. So it's a slew of screen credits. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been well. I've been around a long time. You know, it, it's uh, so, someone said to me, you, you, "You, so much work you've done. You don't seem to stop." And I said, "Well, that, that's you have know, got to spread it over, you know, a thirty-year period." So, it's, but it's nice you stopped long enough to make it to Broadway to be in Fiddler. Well, I've always, I've always felt it important to, uh, you know, I, I come from you know my ge- my generation of actors. Uh, I think we're possibly the last one that that was actually trained specifically for the theatre. I graduated in, from uh, the Guildhall School in London in 74. And already then theatre was beginning, certainly in, in England, was beginning to shrink as the uh, the main employer for first entry actors, you know, the, the generation of actors coming out of college and drama schools. Um, now, of course, I think it's probably even worse now. I think most, most young actors will, will probably get... Uh, their first job in in TV or movies, but uh, we were trained for the theatre, and and that's the first place we went to. And I spent you know uh, a few years in the theatre before I even went anywhere near a, a film. Very well, well grounded in, in, in classic. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was roles. A, it, it was a classically based training, and uh, you know, but but it wasn't anything special. I mean, it wasn't. We didn't regard that as kind of special at the time. It wasn't sort of. Uh, now people say, "Oh, it must have been great to be to spend so much time working on classical text," you know. But actually, it was the it was the only thing we knew, really. It was just kind of the way it was. Yeah, exactly. So you got to play Petruchio in uh, *Taming of the Shrew*. You got to be in uh, uh, *Night of the Iguana*. Shows as diverse yeah, as that. Yeah, and it was uh, th- there's and, and also the the way theatre was structured um, in England it w- was that there was so much more public money available for the big companies. Uh, so. Places like the Royal Shakespeare Company, where I did Tell Me the Shrew, and I spent a year and a half there in the 70s as a spear carrier. Uh, <laughs> companies like the Royal National, which are very, very well endowed with state money. And so they can run these huge sort of three auditorium houses or, you know, uh, tours, uh, national and international tours. Uh, so that there's, they're, they're very fortunate. We're very fortunate in that regard. Um, I've always heard it said that one of the things that advantages English actors being able to go back and forth more easily between television, film, and the stage is just that, first of all, the size of the country is smaller and that London is the center of virtually all of that activity. Do you find that it's different over there than what actors face here where it's deciding are you going to be in L.A. and do? Yes, absolutely. I, I think you're, 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 you're correct on, on both points. The, the size of the country determines the fact that London is the center of both the theatre and the film industries, if you like. Um, also, uh, agents and all the all the all the structures of you know producers and agents and everything. All the, the, the you know the the, the, the fabric of, of the way the industry is organised is all based there as well. And there's uh, 
in a sense, less work because of it. <laughs> There's not the same volume of, of work. Whereas here in the States, you have um, New York, which is essentially a theatre town, some TV work, some movies. L.A., which is absolutely uh, geared towards film and television. Um, I remember that when I first arrived in Los Angeles, my then American agent asked me what did I want to do here. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to do some films, I'd love to do some TV, but I'd like to keep my theatre work up. And his response to that was, theatre? Why advertise the fact that you're out of work? <laughs> Good line. <laughs> that, was his, that was his approach to it. You know. So there's a, there's, a, there's a much more of a polarization here, which I think makes it tougher for, for American actors because you know, deciding whether to go to film or TV or, or stay in the theater is actually not just a choice of work. It actually very often means uprooting your family or, or, or making a huge sort of change in terms of where you live. It's, so it's a much more, much tougher decision. And when you make a commitment to a show like Fiddler, you're making a long-term commitment. You're not just coming in for a couple of weeks. You're coming in for the better part of a year. That's right. Yeah, you can't. More. Yes, I mean, you, you can't assume that uh, a show's not going to run. You know, you have to... I mean, we, you know, I'm, I'm based in Los Angeles now, and, and when, when this opportunity came up to do Fiddler on Broadway, I knew that, well, it's going to be a year plus of my life, and I talked it over with my wife, and luckily we're fortunate that our kids are all grown up, so you know we're not we're not sort of carting a whole bunch of kids around with us mm-hmm. or anything. So it was relatively easy for us to transplant ourselves for for this period of time, and, I'm, and, I'm, and it's, now, been, it's been a delightful year. Now, how how did the casting of you as Tevye come about? Did did they approach you and say we want you to do Broadway again? Did you? Well, I used to make work? a joke about this. I, uh-huh. when people used to ask me this, and I say it's because I was very cheap. <laughs> which was a joke. And then I discovered that I actually was very cheap. It's not a good negotiating <laughs> position to start with. I then discovered, of course, that it was true, which kind of you know, sort of fight, you know, backfired on me. Well, I, th- I don't know. I, I think um, – I, I don't think I was the only person on the list. I think there was a, a, a short list of, of likely candidates, all of whom I think would have been um, just as uh, suited to the role. But I suppose – I don't know. I mean I, I'm, I'm very gl- – I, I can't really tell you why or, or what – what the process was, but I was just very glad that it came my way. And I realized that it is a very, it's a huge, parts like this that carry an extraordinary amount of memory and experience for audiences for, you know, over a series of generations. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, and I, don't, I don't mean to sound grand when I say this, but it's like, it's the, it's the, equiv- it's the musical theater equivalent of playing Hamlet or, or King Lear. It's it's got it's got that kind of it carries that kind of responsibility. So how do you leap into that? Because certainly Fiddler, it, it's fascinating that you know Fiddler is one of those shows that it's been around forever. It's been done so many times. You have in particular a major cast album from the '60s that that people have listened to over and over again. How did you, working with David Laveau, the director, how did you launch into approaching this character? Because while obviously the rhythms of Zero Mostel are etched in people's minds because of that recording. Vastly more people have heard the recording than probably ever saw mm-hmm. him play that part. How did you approach it? Did, had, you, did you, had you seen the show? I never saw – I'd seen the show uh, in London when Topol did a revival of it in the, uh, in the 80s. Uh, I'd seen the movie and I'd also heard um, Zero Mostel's uh, – the, the, the cast recording of the original production. Uh, all of which I I'd kind of loved and grown up with. I mean, I it, I sort of grew up with this show too, in a way, because I remember when I was very very young in England, just after the the opening of the London production with Topol in 1965-66, two or three songs from the show became number one hits. They were released as singles: uh, "Rich Man," 
Sunrise, Sunset and Matchmaker. They, all, they were all, over the two or three years that the show ran, they were all hits. Um, but I think what we tried to do, all I knew was that I had to just, in a sense, surrender to it. I couldn't, I couldn't walk in and say, okay, um, I'm going to be completely different and I'm going to go in completely the opposite direction to everyone else just because, you know, I have to. There's a certain, there's a certain level that when, when previous productions or previous performances cast such long shadows, there's a reason for that. It's because they're taking up a great deal of sunlight. And it, it would be foolish to ignore that. You have to, in a sense, surrender to that. And try and just take the best from what's already there. You know, I, I have no shame about stealing from the best sources. You know, uh, I saw some stuff that Topol did which I thought, oh, yeah, I can use that. I, I heard some stuff that Zero did in the record. I thought, yeah, I can use that because that's really, really good. There's no other way of doing that. And as far as David was concerned, David Laveau, our director, I think he set the tone very early on in the rehearsal when he said that he didn't want us to think of this as a revival, more as a, a rediscovery. And I think that sort of set the tone, which both gave us the freedom to explore it f fresh and at the same time, with great respect to what had gone before. Something you just said there about uh, shows that cast long shadows take up a lot of sunlight or something to that effect. Sounds like something Tevye would have said. Well, maybe, <laughs> I've, maybe, maybe I've become imbued with some of his, uh, philosophical, uh, his philosophical musings. I mean, the, 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 the great thing about the role, and I think one of the things that has made it so popular and so wonderful to play for so many actors, is this incredible relationship he has with... Um, with God, with you know, the God he, 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 he looks to, and the, the conversations he has, and, and the, the fact that uh, the relationship seems like one where he is very, very happy to, to challenge and to question and to, and to seek uh, some kind of uh, answer for things. It's not, a, it's not a relationship where he's in some way um, a victim or, a, you know, or, 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 or under sufferance. And that's such an exciting idea you know, in terms of how you play this. And, and, and given the fact that it's couched in the form of, you know, the classic form of musical comedy, it's a, it's a, real, you know, it's a real challenge. Well, when I saw the show, I saw Etevia, who was on the one hand bound by his religion, his traditions, his customs, his duty to God, to his society, to his family. On the other hand, Etevia, who was a, a teddy bear of a guy who was just a big huggable father image to his daughters and who really... Um, was a softy at heart underneath it all. Yeah. Uh, how much of Fred Molina is in Tevye and how much of Tevye is in Fred Molina? Well, I think if you'd have asked me that question the day we started rehearsing, I think I would have probably gone on the defensive and said, oh, very, very little. You know, uh -huh. I'm, really having to, uh, I'm really having to stretch to, to find <laughs> this man because <laughs> that's like actor talk for, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, but now that I've been doing it for a year, um, I realized that, there's a great deal of him, I think, in me. Um, and I think that's why I was drawn to do it. I think that's why any actor is drawn to a role. And vice versa? Absolutely, yeah. You, you recognize there – are, there are things you recognize, things you can connect with. Um, and, of course, we always try to, to be as – to play as far away from ourselves as we can. And sometimes that works. And, of course, in terms of the conditions of his life, the circumstances of his existence, or, you know, on, a, on an intellectual level, you can say, oh, yes, Fred Molina is miles away from, from Tevye. And how do you think 
the show has changed or grown over the year. I mean, this is a long run. And even in looking at, at some of your stage work, it's one of the longer runs mm, you've is. had an opportunity yeah. to do. How has that been for you on a personal level? And, and what has it done for the role? And how have you seen even you, – you've had cast changes. Mm. So the dynamic keeps evolving. Yeah, it does. And I think that's part of the the mystery of, of a long run. That You know, uh, people often think that – um, people who aren't, you know, who don't know how theatre works necessarily, might might imagine that once we've opened, that that's what we're doing. We're just repeating the same experience night after night for a year, and of course, that's you know simply not the case. There's a there's constant evolving, constant changing, but the the craft, the, you know, the, the, the craft of stage acting is is all about keeping something, keeping that organism, if you like, alive and fresh and new within. Very, very well set, very carefully organized parameters, so that you don't suddenly decide. Well, you know, you know, tonight I think I might play him with a hump and uh, put on a red nose. I, I think I'll make him Irish tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you can't. There is there are certain choices you can't make. But with, within within the within the constraints, you, you it does change. And uh, a song, for instance, I'll give you I'll give you an example. A, a, a song that maybe for weeks and weeks and weeks has felt like uh, a, a, um, a, a, has, has had a certain feel to it. Suddenly one night there'll be, I don't know, the, the minutest change in the tempo or you might be in a different mood or there might, it might, something might get a laugh that didn't normally happen before. And it'll just change your, it'll change the kind of way you approach that song and then suddenly the song that has been one thing for a while will suddenly blossom into something else and then you kind of follow that for a while. And then would you follow that the next night, the night after or revert back to it? Well, you try, you, you try and let things uh, develop. I mean, if, if, uh, if you get like a, you know, you get like a really good idea. Like we had a, and things can happen that are purely accidental. Um, we had a, a, a wonderful, a wonderfully lucky, happy accident happened on stage which got a wonderful laugh and, and I suddenly thought, well, you know what, maybe... Maybe we should explore that a little bit, and so I kind of explored it a little bit for a few nights, and it got a few laughs, and it started, then it kind of died away, and then I gave it, then I forgot it, I gave it up, because I realised, of course, it wasn't organically in the production; it's something that had just happened, and I was just, you know, it was spontaneous. It worked when exactly, you tried to yeah. force and, it. and when I tried to when I tried to organise that spontaneity, it clearly <laughs> lost all its juice, you know. I have to ask because you made a you made a comment about you can't play it Irish tonight. There was a lot of really preposterous press that surrounded this show when it first opened, and I don't know how much of it you saw, but there was there were there were some people in the media who were saying, "Oh, it's not Jewish you, enough." It's not Jewish enough. It's yeah. and of course, how can you have a, a non-Jewish Tevye? Well, exactly. I read it all. I and read it all. <laughs> well, not everybody does, but I'm wondering. You know, it's interesting because you you seem to have specialized both in your stage and film career of playing. Every ethnicity. You're you're always ethnic. It's never a specific one. You are half Italian, half Spanish. That's right. But you have played every range yeah, possible. I, I, yeah. How had, did that press? Did, were you aware of the audience being aware of that when it first happened? And if people relaxed out of it, mm -hmm. or did they just that Audi was something that was happening in the papers? Yeah. And I think I think it all started with a review. With not a review. It was a. It was like a piece. It was like a yeah. think piece in the L.A. Times. Um, uh, a writer, I think, um, a gentleman called Thor Rosenbaum, I think his name is. Thor, odd name for a Jewish man. Um, <laughs> but uh, he wrote a piece. Basically, he saw a preview, and he wasn't writing a review. He, he made a. He, he, he wanted to stress the point that he wasn't writing a review. But he wrote a think piece saying that he felt the show lacked a kind of Jewish soul, and part of that must have been to do with um, you know not having a having a, a, a non-Jewish actor playing the part. 
which in the end meant nothing because the audiences have, have come, the audiences have loved it, We're, you know, we've been a hit and people haven't been picketing the thing. No, you know, no one I've met so far has said to me, you know, it's a shame you're not a Jew because <laughs> had you been a Jew, it would have been ten times better. No one's actually said that to me. I think what, what people do say is that we've found a kind of universality without sacrificing the flavor of this particular group of people in this particular point in time. But if I may just say, yeah. I think the whole point about it not being Jewish enough and you know, not have, having an actor playing Tevye who isn't Jewish is kind of – it's kind of racist in a way because for me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a goy. If I turn around and said, you know, what the hell is Liev Schreiber doing playing Henry V? He's not a Christian. It would be outrageous of me, mm -hmm. outrageous of anyone to suggest that. And so it's kind of to tell an actor who isn't Jewish that he has no business playing a part that is so um, emblematically Jewish, it's nonsense. It's, it's certainly not the first time on either the stage or in movies that uh, people of one ethnicity or one religion have played a different role. That's right. And, and it, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I saw a, a website thing, uh, you know, uh, there was a whole lot of stuff on the web about, you know, oh, what's he doing? What's Alfred? He's Spanish, isn't he? What's he doing playing uh, Molina? He's got to be Mexican. What's he doing playing Tevye? They should get someone else. And they started listing all these names of well-known actors, you know, with, with Jewish names. And, uh, and, and one, there was one, one, one web uh, message said, well, he's not all that great, but at least he's Jewish. <laughs> Which I thought was, you know, this, Very good. It, it just got well, ridiculous. Let me know. ask you, moving, moving off of that, because I think it really was a tempest in a teapot. Yeah, absolutely. And did not, did not ultimately impact the, the production in any way, in any significant way. Um, but you have. You have played so many ethnicities and I read you, know, you, you enjoy playing with yeah. accents. How do you plunge into that as an actor? What, what's your process? Do you, you know, are you, do you do dialect coaches? Do you do all of that? No, I, I don't. I've, I, I've, I've, I have used dialect coaches when, uh, when I've done I've – actually, I've only used a dialect coach twice and both times was when I was working on a part where I had to find a very specific American regional accent. Um, once was um, I was playing a part of a of a Greek American, born and raised in Boston, working class with a very good college education. So we felt that that kind of it's had awfully specific, very specific. So we thought, well, you know, it's and, and I understood what they were after because you know I come from a working class family in London and I had a very good education. And I know what kind of impact that has on my accent, um, and uh, you know when, when you hear. When you hear me talk and you hear my brother talk, we sound like two completely different people, um, you know, from, from two different places. So I understood the, the need for that specificity. But when it comes to other sort of accents, I've been lucky that you know, my, my father was Spanish, my mother was Italian. I grew up in a, a neighborhood in London which was full of other immigrant families from all over the world. When I went to school, primary school, uh, you know, which starts at the age of five, um, all the kids in my class were all first-generation Britons uh, and their f parents were from Ireland, from the West Indies, from Portugal, from Poland, uh, uh, Africa. We had a whole mix. And so I heard those accents. I heard you know, a, a, a lot of the – many of the parents of friends of mine at school right up until secondary school when I was in my teens were sons and daughters of parents who actually didn't even speak English. So there was a real 
there was a kind of music in the air. There was a sort of sound in the air. And I think I just soaked it up without really even trying. I, I, it wasn't – it's not a – it's not something that I've worked on or something that I've kind of, I think it's something I was very fortunately just given as a by a very peculiar particular set of circumstances. Well, you must have a very good ear for language. Then. Well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah I hope so. I, I, and I've always enjoyed it. And I think part of part of the fun was that when I was younger, um, you know, I was lousy. At, I wasn't very academic. I was lousy at sport. Uh, I, I was kind of I was a very gangly, overweight young teen. So I was kind of like in the I was like I was with the nerds, <laughs> and the nerds couldn't belong to any other clubs, and so we formed our own. We formed a drama club. <laughs> we had so little, many of us do. That's right. We, we, yeah. we were like this drama club, and there was about eight of us in the drama club. In the drama club, all the nerds in the drama club, of course, we we were then able to vent our hatred and our resentment of all the other clubs. Right. So we would do mocking, derisive, mimicky, mimicking of of all the other you know, all the other people. So we would do little improvisations where I'd play, you know, Michael McGillicuddy, that horrible six-foot kid who's the star of the football <laughs> team who keeps on stealing my pocket money. And, you know, and then someone else would do an impersonation of some other horrible kid in the school who kind of, you know, always dates, you know, was always going out with Siobhan. And so we, we would like vent our anger. <laughs> we would like vent. It was like therapy, I think. And we used to do these improvs and stuff. And then it grew and grew. And then and I think it was a chance to sort of, play around with all that. So I've always had fun doing that. What was interesting the night that I saw the show, Fiddler, was um, you sit through almost three hours worth of you as Tevi on stage with, I guess, kind of a, almost like a middle American dialect with a bit of a Russian Jewish accent on top of it. Then after curtain calls, you spoke to the audience oh, yeah. in your natural voice. <laughs> and the woman ahead of me gasped. That's <laughs> she right. was from That's Michigan, right. I think she said well, she was from. It's, and, it's really uh, funny. He's, uh, he's British. Well, oh. I sort of wondered when you came in. I've never heard you speak. I didn't know if I'd ever heard you speak yeah. in your own voice. There's, it's hard to convey this on radio, but imagine um, a row of Labrador puppies. The way, you know, the way, you know the way Labrador puppies, when you do something, they'll say, they just cock their heads and look at you rather quizzically. That's what happens on the front row every night when, when, we, when we do the speech from the stage. And I say, "Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. You've been a wonderful audience." There's a whole row of heads. They all kind of go. Right. They go. Right. Exactly and I've right. heard people say, "He's British," you know. And one night, uh, one night, someone said, "He's English." Oh. He's better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that lead in. We'd like to give our audience an example of you as Tevia, not as Alfred Molina. <laughs> One of the big numbers from the show, if I were a rich man, how does that work in the show? I think we all know, but kind of set up where that plays and how it uh, works. It's, it's quite early on in the show, and it kind of it, – it, it really sets up, um, in a sense, not just the character, but also his relationship with his family with his God, with his circumstances, with the world around him. And it's always been regarded as the kind of the big sort of show-stopping number. Um, and very often it's been played as a sort of as, – as a kind of uh, basis for a lot of um, sort of gags and stuff. And we decided to try and honor the song a bit more uh, truthfully. And so we cut away a lot of the uh, inherited shtick that's been uh, applied to the song. And we try to approach it as the, the moment where Tevia, he's on his own, so he has a chance to really reveal himself, um, not just in terms of his most innermost thoughts and, and desires, but also in terms of how he's dealing with his life. And, uh, 
And so I remember a director saying, you know, every song in a musical is essentially a soliloquy because it's the point where the character can no longer speak, that whatever it is he or she has to convey can only be done through a song. So the song is an, an, there is a heightened need to sing. That's the way to approach it. I, and that really unlocked the door for me. And, and uh, I suddenly realized that's how you get into a song in a musical. You, 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 it, it's the only, it becomes the point where the character can, can no longer express himself or herself in any other way. From the current revival of Fiddler on the Roof, If I Were a Rich Man, Fred Molina. We're talking with Alfred Molina today, starring as Tevye. I need to ask, you've, you've referenced now a couple of times in the perhaps 20 minutes we've been talking, you talked just before this song about that the song is a soliloquy, and you commented that playing a role like Tevye is really equivalent to playing Hamlet. How do you go from a prestigious classical theater education at the Guildhall School to musical comedy. Was that – you've done it a few times in your career and I'm just wondering, is it a natural transition or does it, does it use a, a different set of tools that you had to build for yourself? I think it's uh, – uh, at the risk of sounding as if I'm not really answering the question, I think it's a bit of both. I don't think it's quite the leap that one might imagine. You know, it, it's, it's not – certainly not uh, as, um, as illogical as, as, as going from – that kind of education into films, which is a much wider, I think, a much wider leap. But I think the um, the, the, the the whole the art of musical theatre, which it has its own conventions, it has its own demands on an actor. It makes its it makes its own very particular requirements very clear. You know, stamina being being one of them. Um, one thing I've noticed is that. Uh, uh, when I was doing art on Broadway, which was 90 minutes long, and it was basically three friends sitting on very comfortable sofas chatting, you know, at the end of that show, I'd barely broken into a sweat. <laughs> so I was perfectly happy to kind of go out and have, a, have dinner and, you know, sort of... And just, only 90 minutes long, and, so... Know, it was a breeze. You know, I'd, I'd been to cocktail parties that were more strenuous <laughs> than that. But you were opposite to Alan Alda and Victor Garber. You were very good course, company. made it all even easier because they, uh, you know, they were such wonderful actors to work with. Um, then you know, but 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 uh, fiddle on the roof or any musical really is it, you know it's three as you said three hours. It's hard work. It's hard physical work. But it's it feels like uh, to get to answer your question, it, it feels like a completely logical extension of um, of of all the work that I've done. I think it, it, it's uh, you know when you when you I mean, I'm, I'm 51 now. I've been acting for 30 years. And I've played a pretty much a, 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 a pretty wide range of characters and roles. I'm what they used to call a character actor. I mean, I, I was, you know, if I'd have been around in the 30s and 40s, I think I'd have been like the second banana. You know, I love that phrase. I remember when I first heard that phrase from an American actor. I absolutely fell in love with it. <laughs> and uh, and so the great thing about being a character actor is that you you do get to play a much much wider range of roles because you're not dealing with a brand name. You're not dealing with whatever it is about your personality that makes you, you know, sort of that, that, that people want to see. People are very happy to see me as a Mexican, as a Jew, as an Arab, as a Greek guy. You know, it doesn't really matter. So to get the chance to play something like Tevye was, in a way, a chance to just suddenly say, well, you know, everything I've done before, everything that's prepared me 
for this is now can now start coming into play. And let me ask also, you've done stage work in America. You've done stage work in England. Is it a different experience working in the two different countries? Is the approach different to to what you do? I mean, ultimately, putting on a play is putting on a play, whether it's in an elementary school or Absolutely. or on Broadway. Yeah, there are, there are there are differences. Uh, I think there's a difference in in the culture. There's a difference in uh, the approach. Uh, rehearsals in America um, are much more, uh, I think, a much more serious affair. Um, How so? Uh, I, well, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of uh, in England there's a, there's a there's a sort of culture amongst actors where we get by on a lot of jokes and a lot of teasing and a lot of sort of. Uh, you know, our way of dealing – I think our, very often our way of dealing with um, the pressure of the work or the or the anxiety of the work is to basically get the punch in before anyone else does. So you'll see a lot of British actors walking around telling you how dreadful it is. You know, how's rehearsals going? Oh, terrible, darling, terrible. You know, mm-hmm. the director doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And, you know, oh, I'm awful in it. I'm absolutely awful. It's going to be the end. I, I'll never work again. You know, this is, oh, this is my swan song, dear. I'm, 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 you know, you, you'll, you'll hear this constantly. <laughs> whereas whereas when, when you say to an American actor, how are rehearsals going? They say, you know, pretty good, pretty good. You know, we've got a few problems. We've been working. And, but there's a completely different attitude towards it. Which is and one isn't one isn't more valid or you know better than the other. It's just a very different thing. But what I have noticed is that, and I think this might be a geographical issue, Broadway, the community on Broadway, is much closer and much more interactive than the community in the West End. And I think it's because uh, a lot of West End actors have to travel a bit further to get home, and they don't. They tend not to hang around. Or you know, uh, and, but whereas on Broadway, it's a it's a much seems to be like a much tighter group. I've seen I've seen I see my friends more often here than I ever do when I'm well, working. And it was in interesting. I, I was chatting with Patrick Stewart about this at the Tonys, and he said and, precisely the opposite. Well, no, he said he said that, but he made an interesting comment, and it, and it follows on something you said before we started uh, the show, which is he said in London. You do your show and you go home and your day off is your day off. He's, he found what was remarkable and you were involved in one of these last night is every Monday night, which is typically the dark night for the shows, mm-hmm. there's countless benefits, events, readings, special things and the whole community takes their day off and goes and does something else yeah. for the community. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yes, that's very, that's very true and I, I, I love that. That's what I love about Broadway. You know, I did a benefit last night and it, and it, uh, it was a, a wonderful evening. You know, it was a ch- it, it was also it was a chance for, you know, for Mrs. Molina's uh, eldest son to sing at Carnegie Hall, mm. you know, which was kind of, you know. And we know how you got there. <laughs> 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 to use the old you know, Practice, lady. Uh, but uh, it, I, I uh, you know, it was a thrill. It was a thrill to do that. And, and, and to be part of that, you know, to be part of that group, I, you know, I, got, I, I met up with a whole bunch of uh, Broadway actors and singers last night who I'd never met before. There was a really nice camaraderie, you know. It was just a... And I think there is, that's, some, that's what makes uh, the Broadway community so special and, and why I've – it's, it's a very welcoming constituency. Well, other than the, the benefits on Monday evenings or whenever they are, do you find that Broadway people, whether they be actors, whether they be directors, choreographers, whatever, that they tend to congregate you know, like at Shardy's or that sort of thing? Yeah. There, guess, like in the yeah, old days they would there, do that? There, 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 is a, you know, there is a sense of uh, – there, there's a sense of community. Yeah. And I think that's uh, – and, you know, and for, for actors, that's – Terribly important, and I think it's uh, you know very often people say, "Well, actors they they just hang out with each other." Well, that's partly true, 
But it's also true because no one else works our hours. Kind of crazy. You know, it's, it's like who else is kind of like, you know, it's uh, it's us and the guys working on, uh, you know, on, pick, on collecting collecting garbage. You know, well, we're, the, we're the ones that finish work at 11.30 at night. Basically, you're working the hours that most other people have at leisure because that's, that's right. when people go to that's shows right. is their that's leisure right. time and that's your yeah. working time. But it's, uh, so it does create a sense of, of you know, actors are like, we're like, we're like, we're very tribal. You know, actors are yeah. tribal, and we sort of like so we do congregate like. That. Now, this is kind of like asking you. Let's say hypothetically, you have three children. Which child do you like best? You've worked on the stage, legitimate, so to speak, theater drama. You've worked in now musical theater. You've worked in film. Any preference? No, not really. Interchangeable. Yeah, uh, it's you know, I, I always used to use a very simple, a simplistic analogy, which was that. It's a bit like being a plumber. You know, one day you're working on a very fancy shower unit. The next day you're, you know, you're, you're clearing crap out of a drain. You know, <laughs> two very different jobs, but the tools all come out of the same box. Uh, interesting. You know, and, and that's, that's the way I've always what, – what, what I've always tried to do is – and the thing that I've never, ever subscribed to is any kind of talk that in any way enhances any sense of mystique about acting. I don't think this is – there's nothing mystical or mysterious or magical about what we do. You know, it, it's 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 work. It's 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 interesting work. It's creative work. It's fascinating work. But it's it's essentially work. It's a craft that we work at and try and improve. You know, and and very often people would love to hear actors, you know, talking about you know the process and you know how, you know. And I always find that I always try and resist that because I feel that that. That's not what's going on, you know. It, it's a, it's essential. I mean, I, I got into very hot water recently when I, I, I was working. I was sitting on a panel and somebody was talking about the art of acting, and I actually ventured to say that I didn't think that actors were artists. Mm. Um, we contribute towards an art form, but I, I, I see us as craftspeople. I think acting is a craft. I don't think it's necessarily an art form in itself. Um, and I, you, if 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 you'd had a, you know, if I could have, if I can convey to you through the medium of radio, the look of shock and disbelief and almost real kind of resentment from people when I said that, uh, that somehow it was, it was somehow diminishing what they do, and which it was not what I think at all. I, th- I, I have more respect for what actors do. Um, I, I, I. I I take my half to anybody who can get up in front of, you know, a group of people and, and expose themselves, you know, if you know what I mean, get right, creatively, sure, sure. Um, and actually, you know, do that for a living. I have more respect for that than almost anything else. But I do think that there's a great deal of nonsense talked about acting and a great deal of nonsense that's fed to young student actors about acting. And it creates an expectancy that can never be fulfilled. Um, I, I used to talk to my students and say, how many of you think you're artists? And they would all put their hands up. And I'd say, okay, you've been cast as Henry V. Are you still an artist? All their hands went up. Great. Okay, you've just done your run of Henry V, and your next job is playing the water guy on a daytime soap. <laughs> and your only line is, where do you want the water? <laughs> Are you still an artist? And none of them put their hands up. And I suddenly, I said, well, there you go. That's... We're not talking about you're, you're, you're really what, you're, what we're really talking about is snobbery. We're not talking about art at all, and uh, it's uh, it's something that I've always felt very strongly about. Do you think 
your attitude comes at all from your own upbringing. Your parents were possibly blue collar, po- as we po- would call yeah, them. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah. But I think it's it's not a it's not something. It's not it's not a denigrating the work. You know, I'm very, 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 very proud of what I do, and and very proud of what my fellow actors do, and uh, I think we make an important and valid contribution to the cultural civility of our of our society. I think I think actors are, are an important part of what makes a civilization. But I don't think that we're, we're I don't think we're artists in in you know I wouldn't compare myself to you know, Picasso as an artist. Mm. Michael Caine told a wonderful story once when someone said to him, "Why don't you do this play for the art?" And he pointed to a Magritte on his wall and he said, that's art. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because it explains, I mean, there's an enormous variety of film work that you've done. And from certainly very serious films like Prick Up Your Ears, which certainly was introduced you to many people uh, in America, that, that was where you, you got the greatest recognition. But there's also work like Species and Spider-Man 2 and what was certainly the first film people probably saw you in, which was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, so to you, there's no difference. It's just – it's doing the work. It's doing the work and, and you try and do the best work you can. You try and do the best projects you can. You know, I mean there, 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 there's you – know, it's not that one goes into a job thinking, well, you know, doing uh, – you know, doing a production of uh, of, of of Hamlet is uh, you know is just as valid as doing as doing a commercial. In terms of the work, in terms of what you bring to it, in terms of your commitment to it, in terms of the amount of skill that you exercise in doing the best job you can, it is the same. But no one's pretending that it's the same thing in terms of uh, you know what you can create with it. You know, obviously, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I don't, I'm not saying. You know, hey, it's. You know, I'm not being deconstructionist about it. You know, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, there are there are differences, and and there's a difference in what you get back from it, obviously. But in terms of, in terms of working, in terms of how you get up in the morning, and how much commitment you do, and how much of you is there, present, ready to work, I think it's the same thing. Surrounding all of that, though, there is a culture of celebrity, certainly here in America. Um, and there's just a recognition and the amount of money that's involved and suddenly you wake up one morning and you have an action figure. That's right. Well, it just goes to show you how ridiculous the whole thing is. I mean, I, you know, uh, when was the last time you saw a truly great, great actor on the front of a magazine? Other than a specialist magazine like, you know, a magazine that deals with film. You know, when was the last, you know, when was the last time you saw Anthony Hopkins on the cover of, uh, you know, GQ. When was the last time you saw, uh, you know, someone like uh, Meryl Streep or, 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 you know, any great actor? Any any actor that by any standard is 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 a great actor. What you see is celebrities. You see you see what what you know the cult of celebrity. All it's done basically is devalue the currency. You know, so you kind of we, we kind of I think we kind of operate on a different. You know, on a different thing. The irony, of course, is that my theatre, where we're doing Fiddler on the Roof, is in the same building as MTV. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so an interesting mix, mix <laughs> exactly, mixing exactly. backstage. Right, right. You know, that, but that's that's the way it is these days. Well, early on in your career, of course, you were in 
the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones film, you had that famous line about throw me the – what was the line? Throw me oh, the whip. Throw, uh, throw me the whip. Yeah, throw me the whip. <laughs> I throw you the idol, you throw me the whip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people would, people would shout that at me in the street for years after that. You know. well, that's, that's fine. That's you know, fine. Tim Curry still gets some interesting things from Rocky Horror <laughs> when he's working. So throw me the whip. Not so, not so terrible. Not so bad. But, not so but bad. early on, right around that same time, you were also doing some musicals. You had just yes. done Oklahoma in the I West did, Yeah, End. in 1980. Uh, I did um, – the year my daughter was born, I, I did Oklahoma, um, which was then Cameron McIntosh's first big major West End production. Um, and then about two years after that, um, I did uh, a, a small uh, – there was a Vogue in London around about that time of these well, – they, they became known as postage stamp productions, which were – uh, musicals that were done on a very, very small scale. Um, there was a production of Guys and Dolls at the Half Moon Theatre, which was basically scored for a quartet. Uh, we did this production of Destry Rides again, where the music was scored for something like eight instruments, all played by members of the acting company. Um, there was a production of uh, Pal Joey, which was done uh, in London then, which had five musicians, and it was done in a kind of small little... You know, like an off-off-Broadway theatre. And Destry was, was part of that sort of move, that, that was part of that kind of vogue at the time. Well, you're mentioning Destry. You're, you're gesturing to the fact that we have the album here on the table with us. Destry, but I didn't bring it with me. No, you didn't bring it with you. In fact, Destry is now, you know, out on racks. I mean, we yeah. were preparing for the interview and I walked over to Tower Records and there were 25 copies of that Destry cool. Rides Again. So it's, cool. it's certainly not an obscure recording. But Destry was a 50s musical that the Don Mar brought back uh, right. in – this was 1982 right. um, with, with you in the lead – one of the two leads and the other lead turned out to be a fortuitous meeting. Yes, the other uh, – Frenchie was played by a wonderful actress called Jill Gascoigne who uh, at the time um, was, uh, 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 was the star of a, of a very, very successful TV show. And Jill uh, was playing Frenchie and I was brought – she had casting approval. <laughs> and I had to cut. I was, You're top build, but she got cast. Oh yeah, because she was she was the reason that you know she was the reason that the show got sort of financed basically, and uh, so I had to come in and meet with Miss Gascoigne. And uh, I must say, my uh, she, we, we have this story now that, that we, she, Jill loves to tell this story. Well, at dinner. we have you haven't actually said that you ultimately well, married. I, yeah, exactly, yes, <laughs> that's exactly. That, worth that, mentioning. Yeah, we, 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 that's where we met, and we've been married for we've been together for 22 years. Um, but uh, it was uh, we met over we met and she 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 cast me <laughs> essentially both as her leading man and then as her, as her husband. So. What, what was the, what was the first meeting like? It was rather tense actually because uh, you know I, I, I not to, the usual first date. No, she she came she she sort of she she met me halfway. She came to where I was I was rehearsing a play at, at the Hampstead Theatre Club, a small little theatre in North London, and she came to the theatre to meet me. And uh, she came with the director of Destry. And uh, I basically had to kind of, you know, do the dog and pony show for her. And part of me, I think, you know, I was, you know, she was a big TV star. I was this kind of, you know, I was like sort of making a bit of a name for myself in sort of in the, in the, the London equivalent of off-Broadway. And I, I kind of walked in there with a bit of an attitude, I think. Mm-hmm. I think I walked in there thinking, well, who does this, uh, who does this TV star think she is, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, and I sort of walked in a bit grumpy, I think, and a little bit sort of, uh, you know, looking at her a bit from underneath furrowed brows. But um, she seemed to like that. 
<laughs> well, did, 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 she ever, did she ever tell you in later years why she picked you versus some other? She actor? just said, she just said, you know, I, she, she said you walked in, and I thought, yeah, he'll do. <laughs> he'll, he'll do. <laughs> and twenty-two years later, on you go. But but it was great listening to Destry because having previously only heard you perform in Fiddler. Very different style here, and we wanted to play one of the tracks. Um, Only time will tell. Can right. you just tell us where that fits in the show? Well, I'm not sure if I can. If I if I if remember, remember exactly. Oh, well, um, was, I think it was 22 it, years. It, ago. It, it was a while back, but I think it's um, it, it's the point in the show when uh, when when Destry's trying to uh, he's trying to persuade everyone that living you know getting by without a gun, getting by without resorting to Gunplay is um, is the is the way to go, and and uh, trying to uh, uh, you know get everyone on his side. Early on, twenty two years ago, from Destry Rides Again, Alfred Molina gets top billing above Jill Gascoigne, who has been your spouse now for twenty two years. Yes, children. Yes. Yeah, uh, no, no, ch- no children between us, but uh-huh. uh, we have, we both have kids from uh, from previous marriages, um, so we have three between us. Uh, Jill's had two sons, and I had a daughter, and but our kids are all sort of grown and gone. My daughter's, in fact, a mother herself now. So now, Jill, who was a star on television on the on the telly, I guess you would say in, yeah. in Britain, yeah. she's living now in Los Angeles. Yeah, she, well, she's she's with me here in New York at the moment, uh-huh. you know, but uh, she's sort of. Uh, she 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 decided to retire. She uh, she felt you know that uh, she'd reached a point where the um, she said something very interesting. She said that what she misses isn't the work. She doesn't miss the work. She misses the 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 people. She misses the fun. She misses the kind of the humor, the the the, the, the camaraderie. I think. But she got you know she did you know she was a she started very very young, and uh, she's a bit older than me. And so her career, from when she started as a girl, her career was actually she's actually spanned fifty years, hmm. both as a dancer, a singer, um, a musical theatre actress, a TV actress, a film actor. You know, she's done the whole. You know, and now she's kind of she's she's earned she's putting her feet up now. You know? Now you've obviously been working on Fiddler for over a year at this point between rehearsals and the run. You're in it for how much longer? Uh, another couple of months. Our year will be up um, end of January. So you've had a year of knowing exactly what you're doing every yeah. night. Do you know what's next? Um, not yet. Not yet. I wish I could – I wish I – I wish I, I've never been one of those actors that sort of said, well, you know, um, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And then, you know um, – uh, but I do know that um, I've sort of been talking with uh, – uh, some people. I'm hoping that I'm going to carve out a slot in the beginning of 2007 to come back to New York and do a play. 2007. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of years in between. There's a couple of years in between. So you, I'm you got to make some movies. I got to go and make go, some money. Yeah, make some movie money, and uh, you know, uh, and then come back. But I, I don't. I don't want it to be more than two years before I do another play because you know, theatre is an important part of my working life, and, and I've reached an age now where there are some wonderful parts. You know, in the kind of classical canon uh, that I can play, that that, that are, you know, and I've got no problem with doing revivals. I've got no problem with sort of you know, somebody coming out and saying, "Do you fancy playing this part?" You know, Rex Harrison did it, God knows when. I mean, it, it, I've got no problem with that. And and I'm reaching an age now where those are wonderful, wonderful roles for, for you know, for men. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to let the opportunity slip by. You know, slip by. 
Well, Fred Molina, starring currently at the Minskoff Theater here in Manhattan as Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. Thanks so much for being with us. It's been really a lot of fun. Thank you. I've had a great, great time myself. Thank you. For Downstage Center, this is Howard Sherman of the American Theater Wing. I want to remind everyone that these programs and all of the American Theater Wing's media projects are available as free, on-demand streaming audio and video from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org. And for XM28 on Broadway, I'm John Von Susten. And for Downstage Center, that's a wrap, and thank you. <laughs>